Hey, Lily, I hear you've got a new role. I have. I'm working at sustainable e-com startup Bauer Collective running products. And Randy, you're doing something new as well. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing an interim maternity cover as the product director at a really interesting scale up. But as we're both sitting in new seats, that means it's time to brush up on our skills developing product strategy. Unless, Lily, do you have your product strategy all set yet? Of course I do. I mean, I've been at Bauer Collective for a whole day. So, you know, I've got it nailed now. (laughs) But you've been there for a few weeks now. What are you, some kind of slacker? Yeah, uh, I'm a slacker. You've caught me out. So I guess I'm just lucky that we have Nacho Bacino on today as a guest, as he's just published a whole book on this stuff. It's called Product Decoded. And he's also just started a new job. So let's see what he's got to teach us on this topic. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Nacho, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. Oh, really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. For anyone who doesn't know you or hasn't bought your book already, can you just give us a quick introduction? Tell us what you're doing these days and how you got into product management. Absolutely. So I'm currently director of product at Sing, the social network for business professionals with a large footprint in the German-speaking countries. Prior to that, I was working as chief product officer in Best Day, which is a large travel company in Mexico uh, after a long career in travel, in product, in travel in Latin America. Uh, so I've been working in product management for more years than I care to admit. And I got into product management through what I can call the traditional engineer to product manager, if that's a thing. Um, so I worked as a software developer for six years, and then I got tired of people defining things that didn't make any sense and tried to get into the product manager role. Probably one of the first product manager roles that were available in Argentina. So I got lucky there. And also, I really like uh, in getting involved in the product community, especially in Latin America. I've been hosting product tanks for, for many years. Also, I try to speak and write whenever I can and to share experiences. And most recently, I wrote a book uh, called Product Direction about uh, the strategy and the connection or the alignment of its execution through roadmaps and OKRs. One of the things I was really interested in about that is you talk about product strategy in the book. Is that different from what a business strategy is? Well, it depends. I'm not sure if I would call it business strategy, but maybe there are, there is an overarching company strategy. So, for instance, if you think about Netflix, uh, they are trying to focus on their original content, and that's a probably company-wide strategy. So there will be uh, commercial teams or production teams trying to get that original content and writing contracts with partners and things like that. And then the product team will have a product strategy more focused on getting 
the original content exposed to users and building some loyalty of the users through that content. Uh, I don't know anything about the Netflix strategy, so I can probably <laughs> talk about uh, the travel companies, which I have more experience. So, for instance, we do many uh, companies have this strategy of increasing the amount of activities at destination that sell to passengers because uh, selling airline tickets, you don't make any money. <laughs> so companies yeah, are really focused on, on cross-selling and the same thing happens. You have a, a sourcing or partner teams that goes all over the world trying to acquire these partners that are the actual activities providers and product teams are focused on the problem of how we cross-sell that activities to users that bought an airline ticket. So how, when, which channels, and, and how do we promote that to them? That being said, if there is, for instance, a small uh, startup B2B software as a service, probably the company strategy is the same as the product strategy. So there is no need to, to make an explicit division there. Is there a difference between who's responsible for the overall business strategy and the product strategy? And if there is, how did, should they be working together? That's a great point. The product strategy should be, in the case I mentioned, like Netflix or the travel company, in the case there is an overarching company strategy, they should be really aligned with the product strategy. So, for instance, in my case, when I was chief product officer in this day, the CEO was uh, responsible for the overarching company strategy, um, and I need to work closely with him to define the product strategy that will support that business strategy. In the other case, for instance, in the smaller startups, probably the CEO either is acting as CPO, so defining the product strategy himself or herself, or uh, is um, really closely working with the product team to make one single strategy for, for an entire company. And what would you expect to see in your product strategy? What does a good product strategy contain? It should contain uh, strategic drivers that let you know or let teams actually know which direction you are trying to approach to achieve your vision or your high-level goals. And those strategic drivers should not only be a uh, guideline for making decisions, but should also have a uh, reason to be there. So be based on insights that you prepared before when you were selecting or crafting your strategy and also goals that will let you know if you are moving in the right direction. Okay, so just to recap then. It needs to contain, it, it needs to kind of hook off of your, your vision and your mission. And it has to have drivers that indicate whether you're being successful in getting towards your, your vision or mission. Is that right? Maybe I can walk through what I consider good steps for crafting a strategy. And, and maybe that clarifies the, the question. So, of course, you start with the, the vision and, and what you are trying to achieve. So that would be the product vision, actually. And you may have also high-level goals. Uh, like, for example, I always use the example of YouTube when they say we want to reach 1 billion hours of watch videos in 2016, something like that. Um, so that will be your starting point. So now we want to say how to get there. So the first thing you should do is making a diagnosis of your situation. And the problem we many times face is that our diagnosis only includes, for instance, our current product metrics or things like that instead of having a more wide view, considering your user research, your competitors, the tendencies in the industry or the market, etc. So you start with the diagnosis, and with the diagnosis, you come up with insights. And those insights are actually those problems or opportunities that if you act upon, you will have a really strong differentiation and a really strong strategic advantage. So that's what you can really, how you can really change the game. 
So you try to come up with many of them and then with our different tools to, to prepare for that. And then you select the ones that will build uh, those winning, uh, winning paths. And those are the ones who transform into, uh, or a combination of those are the ones who transform into the strategic drivers. So the drivers advise or advise on those insights and will be problems or opportunities at a higher level that will, okay, if we act upon this, we will really make a difference. So they will be actionable, so to speak. Um, and around them, you will set up goals that will let you know if you are actually moving forward in your path to conquer that strategic driver or that opportunity or problem that you set yourself to, to accomplish. Did that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that was really good explanation. Um, so when you're crafting your product strategy, you're obviously kind of making decisions between different paths or options that you may have based on data and information that you've gathered. If you're just starting out at a new company and you don't have the the benefit of um, necessarily having undertaken all of that research or um, sort of lived through the process of gathering that information, you know, is there a, a cheat sheet for getting started <laughs> on your product strategy? Or do you kind of have to go through that process, do you think, um, a, of learning in order to get to a strategy that you can mm. really get behind? Yeah, I think that the, it's a quite a different process. Um, probably the biggest difference is that you're not trying to solve that many problems. You are probably tr- trying to focus on one problem and or one opportunity. I will suggest that you go through the process of diagnosis, even though you don't have your own metrics. Instead of follow- following a hunch, just try to sit down with users, try to understand what our players are doing in the industry and things like that. So you, you still have a diagnosis and insights about what to do. But then you, when you come up to the deciding the, uh, the, the strategic drivers, you probably are focusing on just one problem, one opportunity, and you can skip, in my opinion, the roadmap section. So you can just move forward with goals that will let you experiment with your value position or what we are trying to achieve and see if you are actually making any progress towards those goals. That makes sense. Is there a difference between how you approach this if you're working with a company that's already established, if you come into a job where you're looking after a product or products that uh, are already live in market at a certain level of maturity versus starting something new, whether it's at an established company or a startup? Yeah, absolutely. So for for starting something new, probably what I was just mentioning to to Lily is more around what one problem are we trying to focus on? When you are on a established company, uh, and maybe it's even a portfolio of products or even a single product, your diagnosis will be much deeper because you have more information and more experience and, and even more opportunities that you can capture given your positioning, your current position in the market. Um, so the diagnosis will be deeper. And then, of course, you may have more insights to select from. And one of the things that I like to do when working on an existing product is to think about how we can strengthen our current value proposition or core value proposition because you do have customers that are selecting you for some reason. So you should make sure that you know that reason and how you can strengthen that value proposition to further increase your your market share with that segment, but also prevent other competitors from winning your position. 
It's such a kind of tricky area as well, because there are lots of potential outside forces that could change the environment that you're working in or or change the, you know, the assumptions that you've made. And, you know, I'm just thinking about COVID happening for one, that probably (laughs) threw up loads of problems for many product strategies or opportunities even. Working in a travel company, I can let you know that (laughs) for sure what happened. (laughs) So, but do you think, you know, generally, if there's not any of these big forces kind of coming at you off from the side um, and the assumptions that you've made are fairly static, you can kind of live with the same product strategy for a long period of time and is it like a year do you is there a kind of a a time at which you need to regularly revisit your strategy i think that depends a lot in as you said in the context uh, but also on the maturity of the company the maturity of the product the maturity of the industry uh so i I won't say there is a a single a single answer but i do think that in, in more if we don't consider these new products or very young startups you should aim for at least one year of strategy. But the thing that's very important, that actually a pitfall that we many times fail to do, is to have feedback loops for the strategy that are even shorter than that. So when, when I try to connect or align this strategy with roadmaps and OKRs, is because we have much more smaller cycles for OKRs, for instance, three months, in which we can capture feedback for our strategy in a shorter period of time and even even further than that, you, when you're starting your experimentation, your discovery, even in a single month, you should be able to know if you are moving towards the right direction with the, the side strategy. So I think that, um, so if we think about the, the time frame, probably it's one year or more. But when we think about feedback loops and updating that strategy, you should consider having these close uh, feedbacks to make sure that you are moving in the right direction before wasting one year of a wrong strategy. Okay, so making sure that you're not wasting a year sounds like really good advice. So uh, here's the dirty secret. Both Lily and I have started new projects recently where we have to put together strategies. And I'm sure uh, she, like me, and lots of other people, you come into a new job, and there's lots of people who have opinions and who have information. (laughs) And you're looking at from both the customers, but you're looking at internal people as well. How do you get on top of this quickly? How do you separate the the signal from the noise and make sure that you're actually listening to the right information and you're going in the right direction to craft your strategy? <laughs> That's very hard. So you, you catch me. That's what I was surprised. So you, you were starting this challenge recently. No, being serious, um, I think it's a, it's a very challenging part of uh, crafting the strategy, making sure that you involve the right people in, in the seats or in the room. One of the balances you need to kind of play is whether you involve everyone and you risk uh, paralysis or if you have very little people and that probably may end up in people complaining afterwards or not being committed to your strategy. So it's uh, a waste of time. So um, it's, a, it's a delicate balance. I think that there are things you need to consider. First one is that you are trying to co-create your strategy, even if you are, the, let's say, the CPO or the VP of product, and it's your responsibility to come up with the strategy. It's not that you are sitting alone and writing the strategy by yourself. It's that you are or you own the process, and you need to make sure the process moves forward, uh, but you need to involve the right people. And I, we can split it in 
in two ways, or there, there are different ways to solve the, the problem of having many people in the same room. The first one is stakeholders that you can collaborate asynchronously. So for instance, there are many stakeholders for which you may have input before a strategy session or, or, or workshop, and then bring that input to a product team from the stakeholders. And then going back, of course, with them and letting, letting them know how the session went and some decisions that were made to see if you are aligned. The other thing that's important probably within the product team is making sure that you are not just deciding by, let's call it seniority. Um, so it's not like you will involve you know, all of the heads of products, but not the product managers. There might be product managers either with a very good strategic sense, so you want to involve them, or that uh, they own a very strategic part of the product, so they need to be involved because the decision will have a very large impact on their future actions. Um, so I think that those are two ways to think about both the product team and the stakeholders and how to balance who is involved and who or who is <laughs> sitting in the room and who can collaborate without being in all sessions. So it's the classic, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, I think it's uh, strategy is such a broad topic and has uh, so many differences among companies that is yeah won't make any sense to to not say it depends to any question. <laughs> so sorry about that. <laughs> Sometimes our users need their questions answered in the moment, and we can't be there quick enough to help. A chat app can be the perfect solution. And the good news is your team doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. In fact, their scalable APIs and SDKs enable your team to ship a custom chat feature in a matter of days, not months. Try Stream for free at getstream.io. That's getstream.io. Okay, Nacho, that's very clear, I guess. I mean, it sounds hard. It's always hard. But one of the ways that I saw in the book that you try and simplify this is by using a lovely two-by-two matrix. And, you know, everything works in a two-by-two matrix, right? (laughs) But this one had some terms that I haven't seen before, or at least not used this way. It was eliminate, reduce, raise, and create. How do you use this model? That's a good question. Um, Actually, one of the things probably uh, building on top of the last question is that uh, it depends <laughs> answer. Um, <laughs> what I usually say in the book is that I try to present many frameworks because I don't like being dogmatic. So I don't think that there's a, as I say, a single strategic process to rule them all. Uh, probably you need to adapt. So I try to throw many tools that people can see which fits best for, for the context. And the case of the eliminate, reduce, raise, create, it's actually from the, a great book called Blue Ocean Strategy, which is very, very good read on the strategic topic. Um, and basically, the best example that I, uh, I think that's very easy to explain, at least, is the low-cost elements. So what you're doing when you're using that framework is splitting your value propositions in multiple dimensions that are important for the user. So if we think about an airline, there are multiple attributes of the value proposition. But if you simplify that into comfort, uh, on time, and price, you probably cover uh, major decision points for the customer. So what the what the, this framework does is making be very explicit that you need to make trade-offs to build a strategic position. 
So what the, that's probably, the, I, <laughs> I said the, the example at the beginning, but if you think about low cost airlines, what they did was making this trade off between comfort and price very explicit. And by doing so, they will be, they were able to reduce comfort, but also, well, in this case, increase the value position around price, which would be like reduce price. But, uh, <laughs> it's, um, basically what they did was, uh, capture a segment of customers that value that attribute more than the other ones. Uh, and they build a really, uh, a really strong strategic position. So that's a way to use that framework. It, it ended up being very easy to do, but the thing that is very difficult is discussing among the company and among stakeholders those trade-offs. And what this framework does is making that very explicit and it helps you drive the probably the, the product decisions uh, in a very strong tax. Cool. And one of the things that I find really interesting is that it takes a really different mindset between thinking strategically and then kind of working tactically. So do you have tips or methods that you use for being in strategy mode and then, you know, kind of doing your more sort of tactical day-to-day work? I think that uh, there is um, a period in which you set your strategy and then you live with that strategy for a year. So I think that also goes in line with some company processes like budget. <laughs> That's a yeah, horrible yeah. process. I, uh, probably everybody hates it, but uh, it, it's also this sort of periods in which you uh, sit down or, or the company, the entire company is thinking about the, the future. So I think there are opportunities to, to change your mindset in that way. And the other thing I try to do in the book is um, provide these tools that we, as, as we just were discussing, are not difficult to use, but they let you think in a broader sense about your product. So when you are in let's call it tactical mode, you are thinking about feature optimization of a single metric. And when you are thinking about strategy, at least at the beginning of the process of strategy, you really need to be more you know, op- open your mind and think about the, mm. the wide context of your product. And that's something, as you said, that we don't do every day. And these tools may help you come up with some ideas outside of your natural boundaries. Oh, cool. Okay. What kind of tools are the ones that help you, mm-hmm. you know, go into that kind of mindset? Because that's definitely something that I struggle with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, that, for instance, the Opportunity Solution Tree, uh, the one by Tres Torres. Is very yeah, that's known. a great one. Um, that's a great tool to, instead of... Uh, fixating in a single solution forces you to come up with many different angles. So I tried, I like to start with okay, which are the high-level goals. You can even transform your, your vision, your goals you want to achieve, high-level goals. And then for those opportunities, trying to come up with many different alternatives, different, different paths, problems to solve. The other one is, as we discussed, for instance, uh, using the, the framework increase, reduce, create, raise. And in that sense, you, what you are thinking is your different attributes of your product instead of focusing on a single one. And also, for instance, you have the three horizons of growth of McKinsey that let you think about the future, something that we, again, we don't usually normally do in, when thinking about technical work. So uh, as I said, I don't want to be dogmatic and, and you come up with any tool. The What you need to think about is what tools will allow you to come up with more ideas, not just the, the ones that you are or the focus that you have in that moment. I think that's the first time that anyone's talked about McKinsey in a positive way on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's not a bad thing. I've been using the Three Horizons model at the on my current project, and it works really well. So I have absolutely no problem with that one. But I can't remember the last time someone said a good thing about a big consultancy. So that's it. the only thing I will say about my <laughs> I think you should now talk about the Three Horizons model <laughs> and what that is. <laughs> Those that haven't heard of it before. That's a good idea. I mean, uh, actually, just to, to conclude that conversation, yeah, I don't, I don't like the when companies try to force a strategy by hiring a big consultancy. But that doesn't mean that they don't have good tools that you can apply yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in this case, the what the, this is a very well known tool, and what they propose is that you have opportunities that will help you grow your core business opportunities for a second horizon that will let you capture adjacent markets or adjacent user segments or however it fits for your context. And then you have long-term bets that are for a third horizon that will secure revenues for the future if you are successful. So I think it's a, a great tool because many product teams, and again, this is thinking about how we come up with the product strategy, think about the core business and because it's, it's the normal thing for all of us that we are more focused on tactical work and everything is urgent and things like that. So it forces you to think about the future because I will say that product teams usually have a stronger responsibility for making sure that we are preparing for those future sources of revenue and that future success of the company. So how do we use that properly, Nacho? Because we know about now, next, future roadmaps, and that just means you're able to say no to certain things or at least able to concentrate <laughs> on some things in the short term. And it means that we're keeping things in mind for the long term. But this implies that you're spending a certain percentage of your time working on the, the current stuff, but you're actually spending some time, whether it's discovery or build time, on the future stuff. How do you balance that properly? That's a great question. And actually, that's a good point because when and in the book, I moved from strategy to roadmaps. And actually, what you are doing is doing things in the now uh, time frame of the roadmap, but that are, will impact your revenues in the future. So mm -hmm. it's a tricky tricky side. But how to balance it? I think it's, uh, the, the, the other model that we compare to that is uh, Google's 70-20-10 framework in which they say, okay, you can allocate 70% of your efforts to the closer uh, opportunities or the opportunities that build your core valuable position, your, your core business, then 20% to capture these opportunities that will grow your business and, and grow to adjacent opportunities, and then 10% for these uh, long-shot opportunities or long-shot bets that they they always try to, to keep doing, and they have been doing it very successfully, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of the other things you cover in your book is how you align your strategy with OKRs if you use those as, as well as roadmaps. So can you show your strategy within your OKRs? Like, is it a separate document or a separate artifact in the business? Or can it be presented as objectives and key results? Well, actually, uh, if Following the process I proposed in the book, uh, you come up with these strategic drivers that we mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. In the strategic roadmap, what you will do is to actually break those down into smaller or more actionable opportunities and problems to solve and sequence them in a logical order to actually achieve your outcomes. 
So then when you have these more granular problems to solve, these more granular uh, opportunities I want you to tackle, it's rather easy, I would say, to go down to OKRs and set metrics that will let you know if you are actually solving that problem. And one thing that I, I like about this or thinking in, in these terms is that I used to start my OKRs each quarter as kind of a blank slate and, and try to think about everything that we were pursuing, we needed to do. Uh, it, in many companies, it's a, a, a messy process in which you want to kind of don't know what to do and, and, and the mix of bottom up and top down is, has a lot, many pitfalls. So by answering your question, uh, if you have these strategic drivers that you break down into opportunities or problems that you want to tackle this quarter, it's rather easy to think, okay, which are the key performance indicators that will let me know that I'm actually moving those those needles or, or solving those problems. So, yeah, that makes sense. I think we're getting towards the end of our time, unfortunately, Nacho. Uh, but we have a couple more questions. I'm curious about how you communicate this out, um, how you communicate the strategy out, who you communicate it to, and then how you communicate progress or let's not call it failure, let's call it learnings uh, made <laughs> against it. But what, what's the way that you do it? Because it's, it can be a hard thing to keep everybody on the same page. Yeah, actually, it's... Uh... One of the things we find out uh, during this uh, research about strategies is that many companies actually fail to communicate it. And uh, strategy that nobody knows is as bad as not a strategy at all. So um, communication is very important. And what I think you must do is to create a one-pager. That's what I call it, but it can be actually any diagram. And I, I propose a few diagrams in the book. I call this process synthesis in which you... Take that, those strategic drivers with a lot of context and a lot of information and put them in this one page or this single diagram that you can not only communicate, but also use as a five-minute pitch in many meetings that you may have. So, for instance, when we are presenting OKRs, we, tie, we, we start the presentation with a two-minute pitch or five-minute pitch for a strategy. So we keep everyone in sync or aligned with that strategy at every moment. Um, so that's around communication. The other thing that you need to consider around communication is that the strategy may have implications for different areas of the company. So for instance, in our case, Best Day had four business units. And what we did is we came up with a single strategy. We communicated to the entire company in, in first meeting. And then during repetitions, each head of product for each business unit will communicate with more specific points of that business unit the strategy to their counterparts. So there is a, an a active process of keeping that information top of mind for, for everyone. Um, and that's, I think it's a very important responsibility of all product leaders. And the th second part of, about communicating unfortunate results, uh, mm -hmm. I think it's, um, again, there are many instances. I don't want to be dogmatic. My preference is around OKRs because they are the fastest ones. In our case, for instance, we had all hands monthly OKR result meetings. So in those, we will only communicate only results, what went wrong and what we learned that may invalidate our strategy. So again, that's go back to what I'm saying about having short feedback loops for the strategy. So having those fish, short feedback loops and being able to have a meeting you, in which you can communicate that allows you to make faster decisions and, and pivot if you if you need it. 
Um, and I think we've got time for just one more question. So um, you've obviously done a lot of work on strategy in your time. What do you think people often get wrong about coming up with their product strategy? So I think we can divide that in three. The first one is actually what we said at the beginning, not widening your view and making a full diagnosis. Either we follow our first hunch or we um, start with the product metrics diagnosis and we just keep that focus. The second one will be around the what I call the wrong play level, which is having a strategy that is I've seen in many companies, which is the CPO or CEO or whoever saying, okay, this is the 40 strategic uh, initiatives for the year that we need to complete. And that's too low level. That's not a strategy. Right. Or on the other extreme, you have the very high level idea of we need to, it's actually when you set a goal and you set the goal is a strategy, like we need to duplicate sales and things like that, that they don't give any context for teams to make decisions. And the last one is around communication and aligning to, to actually execution. So uh, when we fail to communicate or if the, let's say that the strategy is something that came up from the leadership team and then there is no connection to the product managers and, and, and the roadmaps and the OKRs, that's of course a way to fail. And many companies actually do it. So it's uh, very important to have these uh, ways of connecting those. And that's why I try to cover it in the book. Awesome. I think those are really interesting points to make. And I think everyone needs to read your book, basically, if they've got any work <laughs> on product strategy to do. <laughs> Actually, my last call to action will be that many, many product leaders uh, struggle with this product strategy because we don't know how to do it. It seems scary. And actually, there are practical ways to do it. Again, as I said, I'm not dogmatic. So I'm just proposing some ideas that people can follow up uh, upon and, and, and build upon. Um, but it's uh, actually something that we should do. It's not a, that hard of a process. It's a time-consuming and hard work, but it's not mm. complex. Awesome. Thank you, Nacho. It's been so great um, having you here on the podcast and ha having a chat with you about strategy. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Nacho has so many great things to say about product strategy that was actually really timely and really helpful. And I will definitely be using lots of his tips. And, you know, Lily, magically, I've cribbed together my entire strategy during that chat. So, you know, I'm all set now. I've caught up with you. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So you can just kick back and relax now, right? That's it. Um, rest of the maternity cover, sorted. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and if you enjoyed that episode and would like to hear more, then please do like and subscribe and also leave us a review. We haven't had a review for a few weeks. So, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, we're lonely. Tell us. Tell us something. <laughs> Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and... Me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank. 
are regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups driven by and for product people. We offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share learnings and tips.